It is so good to see many of you I have not seen. Uh, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, I saw so many people this morning, and it's just good to be back. If you're new to our church congregation, my name is Craig Case. I'm the lead pastor here. I've been here for seven years, and I was on sabbatical this summer for about nine and a half weeks, and I'm rejuvenated, recharged, ready to go, and very excited about this fall. I just want to begin, actually, it actually doesn't tie into my sermon, but it's a good, um, a good reminder for us as we come together. What is the purpose of a church? What is the purpose of going to church when we're seeing in America, as the Star Tribune is doing a special series called The De-Christianizing of America, where attendance is dropping, uh, there's a number of, of uh, challenges for the church. Whatever that is, for us to, to remember, when we come together, as Psalm 92 reminds us, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and faithfulness in the evening. Can I get an amen? amen. That's why we gather. That's why we gather. It's, it's, it's to proclaim our God in this country, in this world that has darkness and brokenness. And for us as the people of God, just like the people of God for centuries have been doing, is giving thanks to him and proclaiming his name to the nations. That's our desire at Maple Grove Covenant Church. Let me pray for us as we start. Father, we give thanks, and we remember your mercies, we remember your faithfulness in the morning and in the evening, and God, we want to be the kind of people that submit our hearts and our minds to you, and help us to have clarity, to have an openness in our minds and our hearts for what you want to do to us today, for the word that you want to share with us. God, as I prayed earlier, I prayed that, I pray that this morning would not just be an ordinary Sunday. I pray that this Sunday you would move in a special way in people's lives and also in this congregation. I pray for those who are facing perhaps a crisis of their parents, and right now it's scary. I pray for those that right now um, are facing challenges in their workplaces, in their marriages, perhaps with their kids. Uh, for those families that are dealing with the chaos of school starting and just busyness and all that, I pray that you would give them space, that you would give them the opportunity just to find some strength. God, I pray for our students, uh, elementary, junior high, high school, college, as they re-engage with school, Lord, that you would guide them and that they would be boys and girls, young men and women that stand for the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Well, I think what's popular for a lot of people is uh, fantasy football. Am I right? I got friends who've been in fantasy football uh, leagues for tw- over 20 years. And every August or September, early September, that is, um, they have their fantasy football draft. Uh, recently, uh, a comedian named John Christ thought it'd be funny to kind of play off that and actually do a celebrity pastor fan- uh, fantasy draft. Here it is. Celebrity Pastor Fantasy Draft. It's super easy, the same rules as always. No keeper, two-round PPR league. What's PPR again? Pastor performance rating. It's like QBR, but for pastors. Basically, take the number of their congregation divided by the number of satellite campuses. Take the number of times you see them on TV per week, multiply by the New York Times bestsellers, divide that number by the number of minutes their sermon goes over each week. Very simple. (laughs) That's the PPR. I'm going to need a team name from everybody. Andrew, what do you got? I will be the non-denomination domination. Non-denomination 
Domination. Uh, I will be, show me the tithe money. <laughs> show me the tithe money. Okay, I like that. I'm going to be first in 10%. Thank you. Trip, what do you got? I will be take a knee. Dude, take a knee? Come on. For the prayer, not the anthem. It's good. <laughs> Blessings to all of you on your picks. We do the first shall be last system here because we're Christian. Andrew, since you lost last year, you got the first pick. Who do you got? I mean, got to go with Osteen. Osteen. Solid pick. Goes number one every year. I like that move. This guy's got books in airports, preaches to a huge congregation every week. Great looking man, beautiful wife. Well done. Yeah, he's the Tom Brady of pastors. Can't argue with that. Uh, who's got the second pick? I'm taking Furtick. Stephen Furtick. Good move right there. You know what? Highest applause break per sermon of every white pastor in the league. Yeah, he always comes <laughs> into the season in great shape, too. Like, the season's about to start, but he's already yoked, bro. Just CrossFit twice a day. Okay, I'm next. Um, with the third pick, I'm taking Jesse Duplantis. Thank you. At three? Big mistake. Uh, yeah, at three, because he's about to raise $54 million for his private jet. Those preaching numbers, those sermons per week are about to skyrocket. That has very little to do with my sermon, but I thought it'd be, I thought, I thought it'd be a great opening on the, the football opener. But actually, um, as you think about fantasy football um, and just football in general, you know, the Vikings are, are facing a little bit of a gamble as I talk to fellow Viking fans I mean, last year we had this incredible year, especially against the Saints, uh, and then we got into within one game of the, of the Super Bowl, and yet the Vikings didn't re-sign Case Keenum. They gave him up, and the Broncos uh, acquired him, and we took on Kirk Cousins, and Kirk Cousins, as, as quarterback, uh, shows a lot of potential. I heard the pictures of, of Keenum and Cousins, but it was a gamble. We don't know for sure how Cousins is going to turn out. You know, Keenum did a great job in leading us to 13-3, and and an incredible year, and, and the, the jury is still out a little bit, even though he shows, again, a lot of potential. His past record is phenomenal for Redskins, but it was a bit of a gamble. And, and, and for us, it's really like, for the Vikings, is he worth that kind of contract that he got? Is he worth it uh, to be our top quarterback? And I think in a similar way in this series, living beyond myself, that when it comes to serving, I think it's very similar that it's a gamble. It's a gamble for us uh, to actually serve. If you're a person who is not serving right now, or maybe you have in the past and are not serving in any capacity, it's a bit of a gamble because your lives are busy enough the way they are, and you hear the opportunities for children's ministries or, or for student ministry or the various 18 different ministries that we have in this church, and you're asked the question, is it worth my time? I'm busy enough. What, what if I get involved in this and, and this ministry that I get involved in, I'm like locked in for life. There's, there's like no exit strategy. Or I give of myself and I'm not really, really quite sh- sure if it's worth it because what, what if as I serve, instead of strengthening my spiritual faith, which is the idea of serving, it actually drains and weakens my spiritual faith. I mean... It, we need, I think, I think for us to be really honest, it's a gamble. It's a great gamble when it comes to serving. And last week I talked about that you and I are shaped and formed to serve. We are. Job 10.8 says, where Job says, I was shaped for you, God. 
And SHAPE is an acronym that we uh, talked about from Saddleback. We're actually going to have the assessment next week that as you walk out of the service, you'll have the chance to take. It doesn't take very long. It's your spiritual gifts. It's your heart. It's your abilities. It's your personality and your experiences. And then be able to use that, as as, uh, Sam talked about, to actually get signed up. Because uh, according to the latest church statistics, and our church is no different, about 20% of the people in this church do 80% of the ministry. And it's similar financially, too, that usually 20% of the people of a church give 80% of the money. And we have to change that. And that's why I want to begin this series by talking about serving, because it's so important. One of the best things I can do as your pastor is not only to encourage you in your spiritual growth through Scripture, etc., but also for you to get on the playing field, to move from being a spectator to actually be involved in ministry. But the question comes up, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? What if I sign up for it and I, and I just can't stand it? And that was a question I was asking myself when, when I was a sophomore in college. I had never volunteered ever in my life. And I was a sophomore at the University of Minnesota. I had my life planned out, and I knew exactly the direction I was going. I was an English lit pre-law major. My goal, my dream, my prayer for that, my entire college tenure was to go to Yale I wanted to go to the top law school, one of the top law schools in the country. Then I wanted to move out to the East Coast, make a lot of money, have a, and work at a really prestigious law firm. That was, I gave everything I had in those years at the U. I mean, it was a, a miracle of God that I actually dated during that time. Because I was so consumed with grades. I mean, that was it. Uh, B plus was not enough. It had to be an A. And I would, I would fight tooth and nail, and I gave everything I had for a strong GPA. I studied for a year for my LSAT. I actually developed a relationship with a judge on the federal bench in St. Paul who mentored me, and I probably could have clerked for at some point, became a really good friend. And I was lining everything up, and then all of a sudden, Pastor Don from Bethel Baptist Church in West St. Paul, this church I was going to, a small church, about 100 people, Pastor Don came up to me, and, and, and Pastor Don is just a, I love Pastor Don, and he comes up to me, he's a smaller guy, about five foot four or so, he owns two suits, and he alternates them every other week, and, and, and he writes his sermons on Saturday night, around 11 o'clock or midnight, and then uh, puts it together, and we used to, and his, and his son is actually uh, was my, one of my best friends, he, his son was in my wedding, anyways, uh, Pastor Don, we call it the midnight special. And Pastor Don would write these sermons, and he loved this congregation, and he was probably one of the most sincere, honest, loving shepherds I had ever met. The guy was always smiling. He loved the Lord. He loved the church. He loved ministry. And I remember he walked up to me one time in the, the lobby, the foyer, the, the North X, whatever you want to call it, he walked up to me and he asked me this question, Craig, would you serve in our youth ministry? Would you volunteer? Because we got nine kids in this youth ministry and um, they, they, need, they need a leader. They have no volunteers. Would you be willing to do that? And right away I was thinking, I'm way too busy. I got, I got my plans. I got my plans. I'm set. I'm set. Do, I don't really need this in my life right now. And then uh, in my being reluctant, I began to ask the questions, would it be worth it? What if I didn't like teenagers? What if, I didn't, what if, what if it just took too much of my time? I mean, I had very little margin. And there's Pastor Don with that smile that he had and that really bad toupee 
looking right at me and asking that question, Craig, would you just volunteer once a week for our youth? I told him I would take a couple days to think about it. And it was during that time where God really began to challenge me. He really challenged me around really giving my life towards just serving. Just a fraction of, of my life. And that's a question I think that many of you are asking. You know, it may seem like a small ask, but it's like, you know what, I got my plan picked, you know, it's all ready to go. I have very little margin. Why would I ever serve? I think a good, a good example of this, we're going to look at three examples in the Bible. The first is Mary Magdalene. I'll come back to my story in a moment. Luke chapter 8. Mary Magdalene, or Mary Magdalene, however you want to pronounce it. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now, I want to dispel some things about Mary because uh, there are, I think, misconceptions about who she was and who she is. And oftentimes we see Mary Magdalene as a prostitute or an adulteress. She is not. She wasn't. I didn't know that until a couple weeks ago. Did some research on, on Mary, and actually uh, Mary, uh, that, whole, that whole tradition around her is nowhere found in the scriptures. Yes, she had seven spirits uh, exercised from her, but there is nothing mentioned about her being the prostitute, the sinful woman at the feet of Jesus, etc. It actually began with a homily by Pope uh, Gregory in the 6th century, where he connected the dots that Mary was the prostitute. And she wasn't. She was actually a very prominent person in this circle around Jesus. In fact, you could say she was an unofficial disciple because back then only men or young boys could be disciples. Women weren't allowed, but you could say that she was part of the larger discipleship, that discipleship group that Jesus had. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. I just love that. We, we see that over and over, that Jesus is so focused on this mission of, of preaching the good news and announcing the kingdom of God. And maybe you're here this morning and you have not said yes to this good news, the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of your life. And for you, perhaps, it's to say yes, that God has been tugging on your heart. And it's time for you to say yes. We're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, this morning. And I encourage you, if that's you, as you walk down the line and receive the bread and the juice, that you say, yes, I want to begin this new life with Jesus. I want to take this gamble. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Jonah, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager. Now that's pretty significant. Jesus is making inroads into some very prominent people. I mean, this is Herod's business manager, okay? Huge. And then Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Mary Magdalene was affluent. <clears throat> she came from an area called Magdala. It's a seaport. There's actually a synagogue. A friend of mine is actually going to Israel uh, in a couple of months or so, and, and there's actually a synagogue there that they believe Mary Magdalene worshipped at. And Mary was a very significant person, and she contributed, the, she gave money to support Jesus. Okay? Centuries later, St. Thomas Aquinas, you've heard of him before? St. Thomas Aquinas called her the apostle to the apostles. Mary Magdalene was very prominent. 
and very important part of the ministry of Jesus. But i got to think at some point, Mary is giving resources. She's paying the bills. Uh, she's, she's paying for the food. She's paying for the lodging. I had to think at some point that Mary's thinking, is this worth it? Is this really going to happen? Yeah, I believe that he's the Messiah, but is this really going to work? Imagine her questions then after Jesus is arrested and crucified. Is she doing a little inventory, a little audit of her finances, thinking, I gave all this money, and he is dead. Okay, not a good investment. It was a gamble. It was a gamble that Mary gave her life to. And long story short, we find out it was a gamble well worth it because it changed her life. And she was an integral part of the movement of Christianity. And maybe you're here this morning, and when it comes to your own life, that you're in the midst of gambles as well. Where you're asking the questions around relationships. And maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's, a, it's your marriage right now. Maybe it's with your kids. You're wondering, you know, what's going on? It, it, what we're doing, is this the right kind of investment? It's a bit of a gamble. Is this going to be worth it? And maybe your kids have begun a new school, or perhaps you have them in a, a different program where they're, they're learning certain things, and you're asking that question, is this worth it? Or maybe you've changed jobs. Or maybe you're looking at, at applying for a new job, and you're asking the question, I, I re, you know, you read the job description and everything, and it sounds wonderful, they always do, it's very idealistic, but you're at, and you've been around the block before. You're like, is this really worth it, this new job that I'm going to take up? Well, those are natural questions, and those natural questions that we carry over to serving. Is it worth it? Is it worth the gamble to give my life to something? And maybe you're here, and you've been burned by the church, and you don't want anything to do with serving because things have happened to you. And I would encourage you, looking at the example of Mary and we'll look at the example of others too, to give it a shot. That when we have the ministry fair, or maybe you can even do it right now in your communication card to say, yes, I am going to sign up. I, I, I'm going to gamble and, 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 and give myself and put myself out there. Because that's exactly what I did. After a few days, we'll make it really biblical, I'll be Christian-like, I prayed and thought about Pastor Don's request for three days. Okay? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, and, and, but after a few days, though, I began to think about it, and God started to work in my heart, and, and he didn't say this in, in an audible way, but he said, Craig, you have these plans. You, it seems like you have your, your whole life spanned out, but I'm God. I, I've given you certain gifts and talents, abilities. You didn't manufacture this. You, you, weren't, you haven't been able to get to the point where you're at right now, and then when I graduated, I graduated at the top of my class and everything seemed really good. But, but as Pastor Don invited me to be a part of this youth group of nine kids, I finally said yes. And it rocked my world. It rocked my world. In your teaching notes, on number one, serving provides risks, as I talked about that. But then also, serving is the way to the top. See, for me, I had, I had this American dream sort of perspective that, that if I go to this college and get this job, I'll make it to the top. And, and as Pastor Don was discipling me and mentoring me, he reminded me of Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I'd like you to turn to that. 
it's a hallmark verse when it comes to the life and way of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area, teaching the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers. And then a parallel verse to this about sending more workers, and it's the same thing for a church. We need more volunteers, etc. Jesus says that if you want to be the greatest, you need to be what? Servant of all. The way to the top is through servanthood. And when Pastor Don shared that with me, because I thought the way to the top was a really fine law school, the, the future for me, that was the way to the top. And, and, and a lot of us want the way to the top. We want our kids to have the way to the top. But Jesus clarifies where he says, you want the way to the top? It's not the way the, the, the world is oriented. Okay, The way to the top is actually to be a servant. Jesus said, and he clarified this too, I did not come to be served, but what? To serve. To give my life as a ransom to many. So for us, as followers of Jesus, to realize that service is not optional. It's at the heart of the good news in the kingdom of God for us to give whatever we have towards his work here on earth. And as I mentioned last week, I believe this, that when we get to heaven, the final days, and we have, after this life is done, I think we're going to be asked two questions. One is salvation. What are you going to be, what are you, what, how do you respond to my son, Jesus Christ? I think God's going to ask us that. How do you respond to Jesus, my son? Did you receive him into your life as your savior? And secondly, is really the parable of talents. What did you do with the, with the things I gave you? With the talents, abilities, and gifts I gave you? So one's on salvation, the other is on stewardship. I think he'll ask us those two questions. And we have this brief life. We only have one life. It's not like Hinduism that you're going to be reincarnated into another person later on or something else, an animal perhaps, in the future life, and that the circle of life just keeps happening, happening. You have one life, the Bible says. You have one life. And I want to make my life count. And when Pastor Don was asking me that question, I, I saw law as really making my life count. And as I gave my life more and more to the teenagers, God clarified and he said, here it is. And I'm not saying you have to become a pastor and go to seminary and stuff like that, but serving with those kids, seeing their lives change firsthand. I, I saw those nine students who were coming without their parents eventually they began bringing their parents to church and they began to uh, actually say yes to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine something like that? It was remarkable. It was like something out of the book of Acts. These, these, these kids are coming and their parents were coming to our church. So as a result, I like drive my Mazda 323 and pick up most of the kids and break uh, all the laws because I would pack seven or eight kids in this Mazda 323 with only, what, four seatbelts. Sorry about that. But, but it, it worked out. It worked out. You know, and the, the, the Mazda 323, the back end, it was like this. I'm just kind of trying to make it to church. But, but we did life together. 
You know, something out of the book of Acts, and I was seeing life change. And I was like, I don't care what I do with the rest of my life. It doesn't have to be necessarily being a pastor. I, I, need, I want this. I want to be part of this. And I haven't looked back since. And that was a changing point in my life. Again, I'm not saying that you have to be a pastor, but when you get into the arena of serving, I'm going to talk about this next week, it's the great adventure. And we have these adventures in life. We travel to amazing locations, Cabo or Belize, or we go to these amazing experiences and we go to these thrill parks, amusement parks, and, or, or maybe it's our, the technology that we have. And we have all these thrills. Nothing compares to the adventure of joining God in his redemptive work in the lives of people. There's nothing like it. And I have given my life to it, and I will continue to give my life to it in whatever capacity that I'm in. Because it's a great adventure. It's a great adventure. Serving is the way to the top. If you want to be first, if you want to get to the top, Jesus says, then you need to become last and a servant of all. Now, let's turn over to John. I just want to take a look at a couple of uh, other disciples. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 14 through 16. And this is around, and I, I shared a little bit about this uh, a couple weeks ago, about uh, Lazarus and what's going on here, and about uh, the fact that Jesus stops when he hears about this, and he, and he just has this space in his life and margin. If you missed it, I encourage you to listen online. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him, okay? And that's a great passage. That's not my point, though. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Didymus, or P. Didymus. Sorry. It's a bad joke. I always say it every time. I always say it. All right. Said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. This is the doubting Thomas. Let's die with him. Let's give our lives to him. The thing you, know, you need to know about Thomas, just some, some historical uh, context, is that he's a twin. And back in that day and age, when you had twins, it was looked upon that it was a curse. And typically, according to scholars, I'm not making this up, you would keep the first child and then you would get rid of the second child. Because it was a curse on your family when you had twins. I know it sounds really odd, but that was the first century. That was the ancient Near East. And, and Thomas is a twin. And Thomas, we believe, was the second one born. So he was the orphaned one. He was the one, which happened very often, left out in the street. As we read about moms or dads that take their young born and they put them out in a park or something like that. They abandon them. That is Thomas' story. And then he, he's, he's invited by Jesus into in this community of 12 disciples to, to make a difference in the world, to change the world, and to be a part of something. And can you imagine in Thomas's life being abandoned, being left out, that now for the first time he's a part of something? That, 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 that someone actually believes in him. And it, it actually it, it wants him to be a part of the 12 that's going to change the world. And Thomas doesn't know that right away, but he knows there's something going on. And that's why he says, we'll die with him. And oftentimes, Thomas gets a bad rap about being the doubting Thomas. We go that passage every year around uh, Easter and Lent. But right here, we see this. Let's go to and die with Jesus. Die with Jesus. 
Because serving, I believe, with Thomas changed him. Because these disciples had already been a part of Jesus' work, and they're serving people. They're serving and helping out the bread and the fish, and, and they're doing a number of things. They're serving. And I think in there, somewhere along the way, Thomas's life was changed. And then probably more prominently, we see this in the life of Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. You want to talk about a person's life that was changed through serving alongside Jesus is Peter. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Matthew writes his gospel mainly to Jewish believers, and, and Peter uh, figures very, very um, prominently and publicly in this gospel account. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing in a net in the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish. For people, and so right away, right away, this invitational invitation to serve people, and and immediately it says they drop their nets, and then we move ahead. Let's move ahead now. We're doing a little uh, scripture study. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter two. Now, a lot has transpired between Matthew chapter four and Acts chapter two. Peter seems to get it, and he's serving. But then he doesn't really get it. When he's, when he's asked, you know, in Mark chapter 8, uh, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and, and, and Peter says, you are the Christ. And then later on, Jesus talks about he's going to have to give his life and he's going to have to die. And Peter says, no, we're not, that's not part of the plan. You know, and then Jesus says, you don't get it. And then over and over, we see Peter kind of stumbling, making some mistakes, and uh, denies Jesus three times. But something happened. Something happened in Peter's life where we get into the book of Acts, chapter 2, and verses uh, 14 through 17. That the serving alongside Jesus changed Peter's life. Verse 14, this scared, this um, person who had denied Jesus, something clicked here. Verse 14, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. And this is after the ascension of Jesus when people are really uh, uh, reacting to the, to the gospel and reacting to Jesus and, and the whole the, the good news. And Peter says, and he showed to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I always find that a, really, a funny phrase for some reason. I'm not sure why. But anyways, verse 16. Now what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Notice that. Sons and daughters. Not just the patriarch. Not just the guys. It's going to be men and women together. And that's something that's very important for our denomination and the covenant that we ordain and we support women in leadership. And, and we see this passage from the Old Testament about, about men and women, sons and daughters. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And, the, and, and what we see in Peter is this change. He's not scared. He's out there preaching right in the public. He could be killed. I mean, he could have, got, he could have gotten a, a bullet from an assassin. But he's out there courageous. Because I think something happened in serving alongside Jesus that changed something in your life. And I think the same thing is true for you, is that as you serve, and be reminded of this, for those of you who have been serving for a long time, 
Please don't get callous. Please don't get like just used to it. I want you to have your hearts and your minds open for 2018, 2019, where, where God this year is going to do something special in your life that he's going to click a change and he's going to open your eyes to new things. Because that's the God we worship. And then we move on in terms of Peter. We get to Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Let's take a look at that. Again, serving changes us. And Peter not only preaches a sermon, but then he's allowed to be able to do a miracle. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at this blind beggar. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at him eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Jesus took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped, stood to his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, in some translations it says dancing. Growing up a Baptist, that was a verse that was never read in, in a public service. <laughs> but this man's life was changed, but, but Peter was a part of something. And because he had served alongside Jesus, his life was changed. He became the pillar of the early church. And as a result of Thomas and Peter, Mary Magdalene and others, the history of the world was changed in the, the rise and spread of Christianity. And the world was never the, cha- never the same. Changed cities like Corinth and Rome. Corinth, for example, was a city that Paul spent time with, wrote letters, obviously we have two letters, that was about 90% pagan, maybe 10% Christians when he planted that church there. But then you fast forward three years later, and on the spread of the gospel, Corinth became about 95% Christian. Just took off. And we're seeing that in areas of Africa. We're seeing that in areas of Asia. The movement of the gospel. Serving changes lives. Remember that. And for those of us who are not on the playing field, I want to encourage you that. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be part of this great adventure, say yes to serving. And a person who has said yes to serving for the past couple of years um, and then came on as our interim worship director last week um, is very much about this, whereas she has laid it on the table and said, I'm going to serve my Lord no matter what it takes, no matter uh, what kind of hell or challenge I go through. And Holly Bruin's going to share her story, what's happened over the last five months. Let's give Holly a hand this morning. See if I can figure this out. Ah, it's there we go. Thanks, Colin. So, Holly, as we were talking this past week, um, you're serving on the worship ministry, and we obviously had a transition. And yet, um, even though you had a major surgery, you're going to describe, describe that in a second, you're like, um, I'm in. And I was on sabbatical, and I knew what was going on, and I said to my best friend who's a pastor down in Mankato, I, I told him what kind of uh, surgical operation you're going to have. He said, she's out for nine, ten weeks. You can't count on her. And I was like, we really need Holly in our worship ministry. And, and Holly stepped in. And you said, you know what? It's worth the risk. It's a gamble, but I'm going to give myself. You want to describe that? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, I had a baby five months ago. And then six weeks later, I had a radical hysterectomy because I had cancer. And so they had to remove it. And 
four days later, I was scheduled for church. I said, oh, I'm not sure, Allison. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> and I was here. <laughs> I was here because the devil didn't want me here. And so I knew I needed to, to step up and show him that, no, not today. We're not going to do this today. Yeah. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to do what I want to do. So I did. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, you know, we just, I just talked about the, the risk the gamble, and we have external uh, pressures in life, circumstances, that even though we may say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in there for serving, things happen. Yes, things, they do. Th- th- things happen, right? Things gonna, happen yeah, that, can, that can circumvent us, and we can say, well, well I, I can't do that right now, this season of my life. And I'm not, and again, if that's where you're at, I totally respect that. But Holly's story is so unique because during the, the last five months, Many times you could have said, no, um, it's, I can't do it. It's, it's too much of a gamble. You want to share about that? Yeah. A couple of days after I said that I would take the position here as an interim worship director, our house was struck by lightning a couple of days later because the devil doesn't want me here. He doesn't. He doesn't want me to be here. He doesn't want me to sing. He doesn't want me to share my gifts and, and be a part of the amazing team we have here. And, you know, of course, when that happens... I pray that never happens to anybody. But I wasn't home. We were protected. We were with my sister, and she never calls me at 8.30 in the morning. But there we were, <laughs> talking. She wants to see my little smooch. And so we left, and it was pouring rain, hailing by the time I got there. And um, lo and behold, our house was struck by lightning. And I get home, and all the things you have to do. I mean, it's, the list just goes on and on and on. And we had people in and out of our house all weekend, all Sunday, we had people coming in, but I was still here. I had to be here because that's what the Lord wants me to do. It's not, it's, the devil wants me to be at home. And he wants, he, he's literally trying to steal, kill, and destroy me. And um, he tried to steal my joy from my son, having a brand new newborn. He tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And he tried to destroy my home. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 Think about a lightning strike in a house, and you kind of walk me through what what happened in terms of your house. I mean, how, how lucky you were. Yeah, we had electrical damage to the wall. Our roof was singed, so we had somebody come out and look at it, and he's like, there is a singed hole in your roof. I'm so happy that it was downpouring because the house could have started on fire, could have burned down. A brand new home. <laughs> and we just moved in in March, right before the baby, and we had get a new TV, a new oven, a new stove, our garage door is broken, and you just think of all these things that you have to do, but just that the house didn't burn down is, is just a protection in itself. Yeah. We are fully protected by the Lord in our home. And it doesn't stop there, because no. <laughs> then uh, your husband, Peter, who's from Denmark, yeah. Yeah. there was, uh, on top of all this, all this yeah. we have to still have his citizenship go through it again. So we had the challenge of having to submit his paperwork. And um, so if you've never heard of this process, it's a, it's a long process. And when we got married, we had to submit all the papers. And we didn't see each other for 10 months after getting married. And he finally got all the paperwork approved. And he's here. But two years later, you need to have, you have to basically have to do it all over again. But you only have a 90-day window. So you have to send it in right away. Well, Matias was being born the week we had to send it in. So I was thinking, all right, we're just going to wait so he can be on the paperwork. Well, we send it in a week later, and the guy's like, oh, 
you should have sent it in on time. We don't know when it's going to be there. And we only have three months, and it's been two months. And I'm thinking, my husband's going to get deported. <laughs> He's not going to be with us. But and, and once they're deported, they can't come back. No, not until everything's done. Yep. And so we didn't know what that would look like or if he'd even be approved. But by the grace of God, yes. And he's been extended until we have to finish the paperwork. So it's quite the journey. <laughs> so you put all that together within five months. I mean, it's how in the world did you say, you know what? That's all right. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to give of my gifts and my abilities. Because that, that, I mean, it'd be easy to say it, it's just not worth it right now. I got all this stuff. Yeah, it's very easy to say, you know what, I don't have time for it. I've got all these things going on. I've got this, 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 and this, and this. But I just read a lot of devotionals. I put a lot of trust in and reading. And that's how I, that's how I learn from the Lord is through de- devotionals and through music. And the first thing I read was the Lord gives you strength to and the courage to get through anything. And that's when I was like, he's going to do this for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm serving him. I'm serving the church. There's no way he wants me to stay home. <laughs> and so I just, you have to put your trust in him 100%. If you don't put the trust in him, then, then you're not going to have time. You're going to want to continue with the worldly, the worldly things that you have going on. But if you fully put your trust in the Lord, you'll have time. He'll make time. You're still going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your challenges. You're going to have your lightning strikes. You know, all the things. Your car's going to break down. You're not going to be able to get here. Well, call me. I'll bring you here. You know, <laughs> somebody will bring you to church. But you just have to trust that that's going to happen. And that's what I did. I just I fully laid it all down. And he's made time for it. You know, my husband's been able to work from home so that he can help with the people coming in and out. And my sister's watching my little kid while I'm here at church. and. Yeah. You know, it all works out. It all comes together, but you, you have to trust. Because if you don't, then your train is a little delayed. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your story. You're, yeah. you're, you're an inspiration to me and our staff of just uh, no matter what barrier, what challenge that we face, that take one step at a time and, and continue to do the, uh, the good work of God. So thanks so much for sharing your gifts and blessing our, our church congregation. Let's give Holly a hand this morning. Thanks. It's my blessing. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And let me pray. Let me pray for Holly and pray for you in our uh, upcoming offering. Father in heaven, we give thanks. And Lord, perhaps our story is nowhere near Holly, and we may discount that, but we have our own challenges. Uh, We have our own stories. Uh, So God, help us uh, to use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our experiences and leverage them towards volunteering. And it might be ushering. It might be with the worship band. It might be tech. Uh, it might be a, just a variety of areas. It might be helping with special events. Whatever it is, God, that each of us has a place. And each of us um, has an equal ministry. There's no one ministry that's more important than the other that we are one member of a body. So God, help us. Help us to realize it's worth it. It's worth the lives of people. Lives of people here and lives of people that will be coming. God, bless this time. Thank you for all that you provide for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen.